Hey folks, before we get started, just a heads up, one of our panelists, cough, cough, will, cough, cough, accidentally closed out and reopened our recording app, so it has a couple of audio issues. As a whole, though, we still have a fairly good episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Welcome to the hashtag blessed version of the Millennial Pastor Podcast, the shorter version. I cannot reiterate that enough. I'm Josiah, your host slash moderator, and on the panel today, I have... Byron. Will. Alicia. And we're going to get it started. This is the same crew we had last time, right? It's the sequel. Yeah. Hmm. All of you guys have been through this before. We don't have to introduce or reintroduce necessarily. Yeah, we're just going to hope that the sequel is like uh, Return of the Jedi and not Temple of Doom is all I'm going to say. Of course we are. <laughs> Come on now. Right. I know. That's, that's <laughs> can't have it any other way. There. But the Temple of Doom, though, did have the heart scene. So that was pretty cool. Oh, my goodness. Like, remember when he said heart. it. With the chanting. I used to do that when I was a kid. I used to know it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, yeah, burned in my memory forever. That scene freaked me well, out, man. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. This is the show <laughs> where millennials, mostly pastors and one former pastor, give you That's hot enough. takes about the things that they think about. And it's timely and appropriate that you bring up Jedi and Temple of Doom. And I'm curious, because uh, our first segment we're going to talk about, and by the way, listeners, we do three different segments. We're going to try to stick to our first two segments being only five minutes each. And then our last segment, which is the theologically uh, charged segment, will be 10 minutes. But we normally go over. But we're going to do our best to try to stick within that. Our first segment is going to be about Disney+. Plus. You guys ready? Disney+. Plus. So I, I take that as your record, <laughs> yeah. huh, Alicia? <laughs> All right. Let's go, Byron. Byron, you're on, on deck. Uh, and then Alicia. And then Will. So, Byron, settle a dispute my family has had since we have introduced and invited disney plus into our family is aladdin or little mermaid better go <laughs> oh me little mermaid musically it's better I, that's why okay. that's I, I mean i like aladdin little mermaid more, but the music is better than little mermaid alicia pick. oh 100 percent aladdin oh wow we're not following gender norms here okay will <laughs> Wait, let me let me just Aladdin has a strong princess. I mean, what do you mean we're not full Let me just say, okay, I grew up with a, a kid brother. He and I are only like a year apart. Aladdin and Lion King and 101 Dalmatians were the like consistently agreed upon favorites. It's something for everybody. So Got yeah. It. Yeah, I'm I'm here for that. Well, My sister to this day, I think, could quote verbatim Aladdin. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Well, I'll get to the gender norm retort. Will, pick which one? Aladdin. Easy. Aladdin. Okay, Hands so down. Aladdin wins. Sorry, Barry. Arabian Jesus. Nights. I mean, you can think uh, whatever you want, man, but honestly, like, Under the Sea, phenomenal music. For That's sure. That's pretty for great sure. music. But That's here's the true. thing. The That's like best, one, so- one good two... song. Aladdin has several good <laughs> the songs. The two oh, no. best. Got some feelings. The a whole two... new world. Will. Bro. <laughs> the two best I can Disney show movies you in that the era, world. Though, the two best cartoons are the, the two, my favorite are Robin Hood and, um, the Sword and the Stone, the two those most underrated good. ones. Those are my. I watch those every day sure. as a kid, like one those or the are other. Really good. I agree. Those Stand are underrated alone. films. Underrated. So what does that have to do with Aladdin being way better than Little Nothing. Mermaid? Nothing. My point okay. is those two are irrelevant because Robin Hood's <laughs> a better film. 
Oodalali. My son is. You can't argue with me on this. Oh my goodness, my son <laughs> is seven, and my daughter is five, <laughs> and my son was much more into Aladdin. My daughter still was, but my my daughter was much more into little. Just based on the actual thumbnail, they had surmised for themselves one was catering more towards boys and one was catering well, more towards one girls. one does have a female protagonist. Like, that's the main character. The other one is a male protagonist. So, so that's that why they sense. kind of I mean, made those assumptions. I like Aladdin, assumptions. too. Don't get me wrong. But I think the music in Little Mermaid is way better. I just I just do. I always have. Totally. So, I, Byron, yeah, fa- I hear that. What were you going to say, Alicia? Sorry, I, go for it. Yeah, I, I think so. This would have been a different conversation if you asked me to compare uh, Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast or something else. But oh, we'll be- leave that for Beauty another day. Beauty and the day. Beast would have won? Maybe. Maybe. We'll leave okay, that for another fair. day. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Beauty and the Beast. I like it. Yeah, I would pick Aladdin in that battle, honestly. That's so crazy. So, go ahead. So going up with Byron first, and if we have time, Alicia and Will, literally everyone in the world is talking about Disney+. Plus. Um, they are obviously poised to make a dent in the streaming world. But Byron, I know you pretty well, and I think the I think Alicia and Will would probably maybe empathize with this. You're kind of a, a fan of some of these things that haven't always been under the Disney umbrella. Are you a little apprehensive about Disney taking some of your beloved movies like Star Wars or even entering into the comic book world with Marvel and all that stuff? Are you a little apprehensive about what Disney will do now that it is monopolizing the cinematic world okay disney took marvel like the worst characters to start a marvel cinematic universe with in iron man a very at the time not very well known to modern like most people besides comic book people and made the cinematic universe out of that um i think they got it so you think kudos to, to them? Are you saying kudos yeah. to them for doing that? They did that? a phenomenal job. Because, like, the best, the, the, <coughs> the ones they should have, like, that, what you think about from Marvel being the best ones to start, a, a, like, a movie franchise, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men. Hmm. They, none of those were under Marvel at the, at the time. So, like, they did it without the, the, the main people, the, the most popular comic book people were not theirs to use. So they got it. Now, Star Wars is mixed. Um, they've had some good stuff, in my opinion, and some not so good stuff. I don't have the same opinion as a lot of nerds do, honestly. Um, but I think Rogue One's one of the best Star Wars movies out now. Um, okay, so, I that so was this really is what good, people but... this is what people really gauge your your hot takes on whether you actually have any real Star Wars uh, lore commentator value was the last jedi good the last jedi was a good film it was not a good star wars film oh what do you think alicia was the last jedi good oh gosh that's just such a vague question josiah i know but that's that's the question people determine your value as a star wars commentator on that I'll I'll stand I'll stand by that answer that it was a good film. It was entertaining, it was fun, the music was good, all of that, but I don't think it was a good Star Wars film. Oh, okay. Let me, let me clarify. It's not a good trilogy Star Wars film. If they had done something similar with different characters that was a, a Star Wars story on its own, I mm. think I would have actually loved it. Yeah. There's a lot this, of things I this... liked about it honestly that people don't like. But, like, it didn't fit well in the trilogy, I don't think. Depending on how the trilogy ends, we'll find out in December. But, like, it Everyone did some dies. things that no Star Wars trilogy film has done before. And I think it went a little too far. 
and I don't know how they're going to come back from it is my issue. But if it was a Star Wars film, like a story, like on its own, like Rogue One kind of, you know, or Solo, like off to the side, I think it would have been much better. Totally. I think they did some fan service and did a little nod to the like Star Wars nerd culture, but then basically like wiped everything out so that they could start from scratch. And they that's kind a of lot a bummer. Up, yeah. yeah. So, Will, Will, hot takes. Jedi, the la- this last one, uh, The Last Jedi, was it any good? Yeah, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I agree with what they're saying about the Star Wars thing, but I mean, I don't, I don't care about the... <laughs> You're not as much like, of a Star Wars nerd? <clears throat> No, no, but I didn't think, you know what though? I mean, I didn't really think that the, the, that would be what the seventh movie. I don't really think the seventh uh, movie was really that great eight. either. Eight. Uh, oh, the seventh one. Oh, you're talking about the seventh one. Yeah. yeah. He's talking about the, yeah, the I Force can't remember Awakens. The, name of it. the Force Awakens. Yeah. The Force yeah. Awakens. Yeah. Like I didn't think that one was that great. And so, and I thought that was enough uh, out of the, out of the norm of the story that, so that, uh, that it was just. Hey, just I, uh, you so wanna, I liked. I liked it. Do you want a hot take? I think do I want a hot take? Yeah. Do you want a hot, t- a real hot take? Oh yeah, yeah. Give, give me a hot I take. Then we got to go to the Abrams next segment. Is a bad filmmaker, and oh, I don't snap. like his stuff. Um, and I, I don't think he's good for Star Wars. The mm. best part about Star Wars currently is the guy that George Lucas gave control of animation to, and he's now in charge of the Mandalorian as well. That's oh. Dave Filoni. That guy's a genius. He knows Star Wars inside and out. He should be in charge of Star Wars. By the, the way, entirety. My wife was trying to come up with some sort of let me sell my husband on Disney Plus, and I said, The Mandalorian is on it. I'm already sold. Let's watch it. <laughs> See, I don't well, we... have it yet, and I want to watch it so bad. I'm trying okay. to avoid spoilers. Do you want to hear a hot take from me? I think yes, Alicia. The, I think the best thing about the new Star Wars reboot is Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. I am here for that. <laughs> oh, I think he's a phenomenal actor. I like Kylo Ren a lot. Actually. That's that's Which it. Is, yeah, and, people hate that guy, I'm, but I love it. And I'm well, I love Adam Driver, but I'm also here for the emo Kylo Ren memes that are that's, happening that's over so the internet. Funny. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so what funny. I'm here for. All right. Well, segment two is is more on pop culture. Segment one was just what's happening in our week, I guess, and that's happening in my life. So you guys get to commentate on it. Um, segment two, Alicia, you're up to bat. You ready? Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. Of, of cultural re- relevance, shifting gears. This is Byron's favorite topic, and he's so over talking about it. But the internet in the world is not done. Uh, we cannot stop hearing about Kanye for whatever reason. Alicia, did you hear? Did you watch? Did you see? He went to Joel Osteen's church, and I don't know, what would you even call it? A, a sermon? A, a self-promo? What was it? Like, what? Did you see it? I didn't. I didn't see it, but I did read a little bit about it. I've, I've heard about about it. Um, I honestly just couldn't bring myself to watch it. Right? Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm reading through some other theology texts, so that's taken up a little bit more of my space. I'm finishing up David Bentley Hart's "The Beauty of the Infinite" um, for a theology book club uh later this week and i was like i do not have time for joel steen and wait hold Kanye. the phone you're in a theology book club that's awesome yeah yeah of course she is. i was so about to right say now. do you know me at all but you actually don't i but... really don't know you though <laughs> that's the thing. i've never met you but, but it yeah. makes sense to what i know but that's awesome i want to do that yeah yeah it's some fellow pastors on my zone we get together once a month and we read a theology book we take a break during the summer because a lot of folks like are traveling around but yeah we're a bunch of nerds <laughs> and I'm not That's even great. sorry about it. 
So this is this is actual quotes from Kanye. Well, quotes as remembered by your moderator, Josiah. Um, essentially, he went to Joel Osteen's church. I was sent a whole bunch of videos because apparently people want me to know about things because we talk about things, and that's great. I appreciate that. We have a podcast. We do stuff. We talk about this. So, like, I like to sort of know what's happening. Um, he's on stage, and, and it's great because Joel Osteen <laughs> might just be <laughs> the most, like, just – he's just awkward he stands there he has that kind of weird smile thing yeah he's just, so schmarmy yeah i don't know how to describe <laughs> it but he's just got this weird presence and he's kind of standing there with his the fig leaf hands uh in front of him and like kind of sort of <laughs> sort of looking at at kanye but then kanye's just doing kanye and i can only imagine how uncomfortable it makes joel osteen to stand up there and like have an unpredictable kanye who's even more unpredictable now because he's mixing Jesus and all this stuff. But he said two things that I think are really important for us to maybe ponder as we will deal with this in some way, I'm sure, uh, whether it's because people are aware of Kanye or because there's some sort of cultural shift happening. One, he said he's the greatest artist ever, which is not new, right? That's a, that's a common thing. He's, he, but he said what he said leading up to that is what I think we should talk about. I'm curious, your, your hot takes... Uh, uh, starting with Alicia, and then I guess we can get Will and Byron. Um, he basically said that the devil has always had the best artists, the best creators, the best authors, the best filmmakers, yada, yada, yada. Um, and he kind of was just pouring gasoline on a cultural war, a cultural battle that I don't know if it has ever gone away, especially in American culture. But I only see this making culture wars worse when Kanye starts throwing stuff like that. His narcissism aside, calling himself the greatest artist, he's the the greatest artist God has ever created. That aside, um, do you think we need more culture wars? No. Okay, first first thing, God has always had the greatest artist. I mean, like... Like, God is first and foremost, like, the most, like, the source of all creativity, right? Like, we believe in God, the creator. So, people who love and follow and serve and belong to this God are also creators who who ought to be the source of goodness and beauty and um and, and art in the world, right? Uh, but then, I mean, honestly, I, I just think about like the Sistine Chapel and like Michelangelo and like so many other people. I'm sorry. It's been a long time since I've brushed up on art history, but these folks like worked with and for and within the church. Like what does Kanye have to say about that? Like he might not know his church history just yet is what or I'm his guessing. Art, or, or his art history. But I feel like or... anyway, that's, that's maybe unfair, but I, I guess it's I guess... not unfair. Connie's not even the greatest rapper to ever exist, so he can't be the greatest artist of all time. Yeah, I. There are I mean, better rappers than him. I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is I take issue with the fact that that there has to be this division of artists that like the devil has had some artists and God has had some artists, but that, but that we theologically affirm that God is the source of all goodness, truth, and beauty, um, and. And the, I don't know. So I, I guess I just want to want to affirm the ways that as we follow a God who is the source of goodness, truth and beauty and creativity um, that we're creating things in the world um, that bring glory to God, that we don't have to like smack a label on on that 
Yeah. This is good art because it's Christian, which is the root of culture wars, in my opinion. Right, right. Um, I just think, like, <coughs> make good art. Yeah, make good art. Yeah. Will, what what do you think? Do you think this uh, this has some fallout that could just lead to even more intense culture wars? Um, we literally just lost Will. This isn't Stranger Things, I promise. We're not, like, searching oh for Will goodness. in the Upside Down or anything. He did literally <laughs> just, like, drop the call. So we're, we're, not, we're not searching, but he is in the Upside Down, is all you're saying? We're oh, just my looking goodness. For him? <laughs> yeah. I don't have a portal yeah. in my yard, so I can't, I mean. Yeah, me neither. We... All right, stand by. Oh, he's back. Are you actually Will, back, you Will? Here? Yeah, I'm back. I'm sorry. What'd you do? Oh, I actually. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work in the end recording, but let's continue on and see what happens. Sound okay. good? Yeah. Well, good. you that's the timer because we just spent the last like 60 seconds figuring out if you were in the upside down because we're all Stranger <laughs> Things fans. <laughs> I, but, I do uh, like that show. Oh my goodness. So, Will, do you think uh do you think these comments could just lead to an even more intense culture war? Um Maybe, but I think I think in some ways, like Kanye West creates a culture war in and of himself. So we're already seeing it on the on the interwebs right now, right? So I I I, I think that he already he already is that. But yeah, I mean, he, maybe he's just adding fuel to the fire that's already there um, of the culture wars, you know, of the conversations about about things that are. I think we're going to talk about this next segment, sort of, but, yeah, but we just are with the Naz- with, yeah. like even in our Nazarene circles, For and sure. sort of kind of outside of our Nazarene circles, really, because a lot of those voices aren't even Nazarene. Uh, yeah. uh, that there is a lot of conversation about this, so yeah, I could see it. I could see it adding adding fuel to the flame, but he already has just in, a, in and of himself. So, all right, all right, Byron, last last word, and I just want your flat out answer because you hate Kanye so much and you don't want to talk about it. Who is the best rapper if it's not Kanye? Okay, these are five guys who are significantly better than Kanye. <laughs> Tupac, Biggie Smalls, KRS-One, Most Def, and Eminem. They're all better rappers than Kanye. Most Def, okay. And if you, talk about, if you talk about producing, he's a decent producer, but um, Jay-Z and Dr. Dre are significantly better producers as well. He is not on the top. Who's the best, though, Byron? Who's the best? But he's he the best. the question. It, well, it Who's depends. the best? Um, ugh. If you have to Honestly, listen to one rapper well, for the rest of your life, you're on Desert Island. Which is which artist is the only artist you're listening to the rest of your life? Oh, it's so hard, guys. That's so mean. Um, this is where you say art is subjective. It is subjective. <laughs> that's a thing. But like, honestly, like he's a rapper I don't know that well, but I think he's one of the best. Like, and he made a huge impact at the time. But KRS-One is somebody I want to listen to more because he was more underground than anything. And I'm yeah, just learning more him. about him now. And I don't even the know best who that part is. is his name. It's KRS One is his abbreviated name. His name literally is no, he's from he's from uh New York. Um oh. Knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everyone. That's what KRS one stands for. He has the That's best curious. rapper name of all time, and he's <laughs> actually phenomenal. But like I haven't listened to enough of his stuff, but I would I would have to pick him right now. Because I want to get into his stuff more than I already listened to it. It's it's he's so good. But those are right, five guys that are significantly better than Kanye. There's a lot more though. That's the thing. We're, but we're gonna come back to segment three. Byron and his cultural commentary. He, you're our cultural commentator, Byron. 
Um, we we're gonna have to move on to segment number three though before. I should have known asking you about rappers. We could have talked about that for a half an hour. Oh, we could do that all day. Let's do it. No. Okay, well, you're up. <laughs> Segment three. This is a 10-minute one. I'm going to start the timer after I lay out what we're talking about. I don't want to take up more time. I want all three of you to be able to chime in. So I can't remember who I had second in the last one, but Will and then someone's on deck. Let's just have Will, Alicia, and Byron because Byron was just talking. <clears throat> you guys ready? Yep. Yep. So segment three is of theological significance. We're just talking about culture wars. Um, We've had our own little culture war in the Nazarene church. There's been a lot of things I've personally heard. I know some of my uh, panel folk and friends have heard. Uh, There's just kind of a a phrase that is said oftentimes. This isn't the church I grew up in. This isn't the Nazarene church I remember. Things are so different. And to some extent, that's true. Um, we used to have this Nasbo no-no list that has changed. And in a lot of ways, I think it's good because once upon a time, there's actually a rap out there. Um, it was called the Nasbo rap. And it started with, I don't dance, don't skate, no silver screen. And it was all about poking fun at the things Nazarenes were not allowed to do. I remember specifically a professor sharing a story about how he got chastised and almost booted out of church because he wore shorts on his paper route. Like that... That stuff changed, but in a way, I think that's not, not just casual. I think that's a really good change because some of those things were just legalism for the sake of legalism. However, I want to talk with you guys, and we have two masters on this program, and then me and Byron. Um, so I want to talk more about some of the theological inner workings of denominationalism, especially what we would be called, which is a big tent denomination. And my own working definition of that might be wrong, and feel free to correct me. You're up first, Will, but a big tent denomination just seems to be a denomination that gives you some space in what would be considered non-essentials. That they have some essentials that are fairly clearly laid out, most people would say, but that there's some non-essentials. Um, so it, with that comes some interesting uh, differences between even Nazarene churches, Um so first and foremost, I'm curious, is that, your, is that what you were taught when you went to seminary? Are we a big tent denomination? Is that what that looks like? What, what are the inherently good things about being a big, big tent denomination? What are the maybe cons to being a big tent denomination? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I guess you could call us a big tent denomination in that sense. I, we, we definitely have that history, right, of of being fairly in, in inclusive to a bunch of different viewpoints and a bunch of different theological convictions. Um, you know, there's, you can, you can go back and you can, you can kind of l- learn about some of our founders. I think it, I could be wrong about who this was, but it, it was Brzee. And I think H Horton, uh, Wiley, Wiley. And I think they were arguing and Wiley actually w- was saying, you know, like cut these people off, <laughs> let them go and do their own thing. And Phineas Brzee was, was of a different mind and saying, no, we need to be united. We need to allow people to come in. And so, I mean, even from the very beginning of, of, uh, Nazarendom, uh, the church of Nazarene, we, we kind of have, have that history of, of, yeah, essential, you know, essentials are important and, and non-essentials, you know, charity. And, and so, so yeah, so I, I'd say that's that, that's part of that's part of who we are. I think the frustration of that is, like you like you've already alluded to, there, there there's folks who 
who um, lean on our on our pendulums, you know, on, on, on each side of our pendulums, which would be Wesleyan on one side, uh, and then and then our our holiness movement roots on the other side. Um, and I think what we were going for was more of a middle a middle way there, uh, which 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 is pretty Wesleyan. So maybe it's not quite middle way, but middle way uh, in in between those two. And so and so when you when you swing to either side of those. I think you can get pretty frustrated with the other, with the folks who don't agree with you. Hey, Will. So let's talk. Well, that story. So Wiley was the one who wrote the original, um, like our, our, uh, wow. I just blanked on what it's called because I've been in too many different traditions. Manual. Um, The manual. He wrote the original manual and he tried to make it so that the voice would work for all three, the the small denominations who were coming together. Do you think he was just like frustrated with trying to make that work? So he's just like, Hey, let's just get rid of them. Like, yeah, no I, one would have been banging their head against the wall more than him, I think, with the way our denomination <laughs> developed and how it still is a problem. Like that must have bothered that guy so much because of how the work he had to do for it. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I would say that that what I'm talking about happened before that, Probably, that even they were yeah. trying to write the manuals and stuff like that. So, so, so let's focus yeah. on a, a layperson perspective, and I'm going to ask some practical questions, Will, and then Alicia, and then Byron. Um, in a in what I I've heard people call, and this is again, this might be part of the issues is that some leaders, and not even necessarily elected leaders, but just thought leaders in the denomination, have called us a big tent denomination. Um, some of the practical ways that that can be expressed would be in liturgy. So you can go to a Nazarene church <laughs> in one part of the country, and it can be a guy in a three piece suit, a guy in a three-piece suit you can go to another part of the country and it's a woman and she's wearing a clerical collar or she has an alb or you know whatever uh but it it seems like a lot more what people call catholic even though it's very nazarene you can go to another church where it's a casually dressed person um male or female white or black or whatever and it can look on the surface like they're not the same church um is that is that a problem or is that a good thing what what are your thoughts will Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a problem or if it's a, yeah, I I think, I think it can be good and I think it can be bad. So I was just, this past week I was meeting with a group of pastors and, and I've connected really well with uh, our new Missouri Synod um, pastor in the area, a Lutheran. And I'm I'm not a huge fan of the Missouri Synod church necessarily uh, for a lot of their stances and things like that. Um, But but what I did, you know, I've, I've learned a lot more about about the church and I've learned uh, just just so much about um, their liturgy and and why they do the things that they do, which has been really interesting to me because I, I never had learned a lot of that. And 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 I, and I think that some of that is really beautiful that you walk into a Missouri Synod Lutheran church, um, you know, across the world. It's going to be pretty similar to the Missouri Synod church here in rural Missouri. And so, so that would be pretty neat to, to, to be a part of that uh, kind of, kind of thing. I think that, I think there's a lot of strength or well, at least could be a lot of, a lot of good things and, and strength in that. Um, so, so, so that, that, that could be good. Uh, but I also, I also think there is, there is some beauty and diversity um, and we, we, we really do need different viewpoints and we really do need each other as we, as we navigate uh, what it means to be the church in this world. What do you think, Alicia? Uh, is it simple as good or bad? Or is there a third way if we're going to be really Wesleyan? 
Oh, Josiah, I don't think there's anything that's ever as simple as just good or bad. Um, I yeah, I I guess want to re reaffirm, restate some of the things that Will has said. That like like this has been part of who we who we always were, like who we have been from the beginning. There's a there's a phrase. I think it's John Wesley who said it, or it's at least attributed to him um, in essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty in all things, charity. Um, and that's been sort of foundational to who we are. But as, as Will has mentioned, like, like from the beginning, there was this mix between uh, the, the Wesleyan folks and the um, American holiness folks, or to put it in a different way, like Wesley was an Anglican priest. So the, the really liturgical, um, formal way of facilitating church. And then like American holiness folks are like tent revivals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and those are very, just different. very, very different, like opposite ends of the spectrum. But it was like those very different traditions that like, came together to, to in, in unity to form the church of the Nazarene guided around like care for the poor and affirmation of women and um, rootedness in a neighborhood and global compassion and all sorts of things that were like core to who they were and they could like recognize that these were the things that bound them together not their surface level worshiping style um so i don't know it's messy and it's complicated and it creates some confusion and some tension but um i don't know it's just like the quirkiness of the family that we are if that makes sense so so maybe liturgically we have some differences and that's maybe not the biggest deal in the world maybe that's good bad maybe it's a a mixture of things, but let's dive deeper with theological stuff because you just touched on it, Alicia. Like women, women in in uh, in clergy, that's just a NAS standard thing, and it's been that way since the beginning. But that's not something that everyone agrees on. We we've talked about it before, um, but that's just one example. Another would be like infant baptism, or or an interesting one that I'm seeing developing between generations that seem to have different hot takes on things like holiness or entire mm. sanctification. So theologically, we don't always seem to be, even if it's a big tent denomination, which means maybe we're from different traditions originally, but we still have some theological mainstream ideas that we all agree on. Even sometimes those identifiers that would be, you know, really definitive of who we are, like holiness. I'm not always sure we're on the same page with that stuff. I mean, have you seen that? Do you agree? What's the fix? Oh gosh. Oh, totally. I've, yeah. Uh, I've seen that like in the microcosm of like every single church that I've been, uh, serving in there, like very different understandings of, um, yeah, like some core theological principles like holiness or, um, I don't know, uh, the a couple of church placements ago um somebody thought it was going to be a good idea to preach through the book of revelation and i was like are you nuts like are you ready for like all the ways that people approach and understand reading scripture and thinking about eschatology and all the sorts of stuff because like when you get diverse people together in a room like nobody is going to think the same thing that's just like what it means to be human so yeah. i've totally seen this like in local church context i've seen this in the broader denomination like um i i last week we talked a lot about the ways social media conversations can become really highly charged and i see that certainly around theological issues um even among just like ordained 
pastors who ought to have had like the same kind of training or ought to affirm the same kinds of core theological principles. But even within that, we've got this like wide diversity of opinions. And I think some of that is good and some of that helps shape us and and sharpen our thinking but i also think there are some people who are like ordained elders in the church of the nazarene who like aren't actually nazarene like in our (laughs) kind of fundamentals you know what i'm saying yep anyway you you're like what do we do 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 about that (laughs) what do we do about that that's Uh, that's all i'm gonna say back to you 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 have two masters so is that what do we all need to have two masters or what I have two masters and five minutes to like change the world. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's that's what you got, man. That's our Look, one man. I'm not sorry. Jack Ryan, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, hey, this is for your PhD. So yeah. just if this, you solve this, this you no big deal. Okay, yeah. look, honestly, uh, we we make jokes about education, especially since, like, on this panel, we're split 50-50 with folks who have, like, postgraduate education and folks who don't. Um, and there are so many ways to get significant, meaningful, substantive ministry experience, and that's not always education. But I really do think that theological education or, like, deep reading and understanding and, like, theological learning is really significant when we think about leading our people through the chaos that is a big tent denomination right like we need to be trained in practical theology to ask the questions of who is god who are we as god's people how then do we live what does it mean to be rooted in this tradition right and like and 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 at least for me education was like key in providing like the data points, the information, the the tools and skills and practices to like do that kind of work with my people. And so then I, I think it comes down to to like our pastors and leaders um, to be leading communities into like deep theological reflection and application. Um, so, so that when we gather around a table and we have totally different views about holiness or eschatology or baptism or the other sacraments or whatever, that we can say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Where did you first hear about that? Well, have you thought about it this way? Or how, like, what are you reading? Or how are you approaching the scriptures? Or, or these sorts of things to cultivate conversation so that we continue to move forward toward, um, toward a, like a more unified and robust understanding of what it means to, to be rooted in this tradition and to be faithful followers of Jesus. I mean, I'll take it. That's a pretty in-depth answer, Alicia. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're five minutes and your master's degree. I think you saved the world. You can be Jacqueline Ryan or something like that. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that's, that's okay. I'll just, like, stick with the theological book club. That's, that's all for now. <laughs> Get it. All right, well, final thought. I'm going to ask Byron a final question because this educational thread is kind of near and dear to his heart. And it does have some sort of interesting connections to Big Ten stuff because it's kind of dependent on what district you're on that educational stuff is determined. And Byron has formerly been on the track towards ordination in the Nazarene church, but you had a whole bunch of obstacles. <laughs> I, de- I derailed somewhere on that track. You yeah. derailed, but wasn't one of the biggest derailing factors education? Oh, that's a tough question to answer, but kind of. Um, so here's my thing. The church of the Nazarene, I don't know how long ago it was. It wasn't that long before I got into college and started down this track, but they decided that instead of the, the general church, of the Nazarene deciding 
what <coughs> education requirements were required for ordination, they let districts decide. And that was one of the biggest mistakes this church has made, in my opinion, because it's a free-for-all. People do whatever they want. You have people who are on these boards who decide if you can get ordained, who teach the, the education track, people who can't go to a university or the Bible college or seminary. Um, and those people seem to think that they know more. Like I've met multiple people like uh, that are pastors on our districts, on different districts, who think that they are better teachers than our professors who have PhDs. They talk down about our Nazarene universities, uh, the seminary and the Bible college, all of it. And they, they tell you, like, if, like I had a, I went to one of these things to see if I can get my, my district license once. And they sat me down, and because I didn't say exactly the quote of a paragraph they had on some random class on their piece of paper, I wasn't good enough education-wise. Even though I said the same thing, I just used different words because I can think for myself. Somehow they mm. want me to quote what that. they had in front of them without ever giving it to me because they didn't teach the class to me. I went to a university. Um, and I said the same exact thing. I used some different words, but they couldn't wrap their head around the fact that I knew what I was talking about because they thought they were better educators than mm. the PhD professors I had at Point Loma. Mm. That is bogus. That is a bad mm. system, and it shouldn't be that way. There should be a set. These are the classes you have to take. This is how you have to be educated. And then if you're going to go through the, the education track through a district, which I don't think is a bad idea by any means, it helps people who are especially people who are older and like it's their, their second vocation or whatever, if they can't go to a university or even the Bible college because they're expensive, it gives them a way to get their education. But the Church of the Nazarene general church should, should regulate what that class is, how it's taught, and they should be training people to teach them. Because honestly, these people who teach these classes, they're not professors. They're not teachers. They're pastors. And I know a lot of pastors who are very bad at teaching. And that's not okay because they're not preparing the next generation of pastors to do their job well. And that is shown in our congregations. One of the biggest don't know what Nazarenes are because we, we stopped teaching about it. In my opinion, for our generation, it, it was not a thing we talked about. And now our generation of pastors are starting to push back and say, Hey, this is what it means to be Nazarene. These are the important things. Like, yes, there is grace with a lot of this stuff, but these are the tent poles that we built this church on. And so they're starting to get that education back out there. But we skipped an entire generation. I didn't know what, what it meant to be a Nazarene growing up Nazarene from like the fifth grade on through high school um, until I went to college at a Nazarene university. Same. That's Me not too. okay. Well, there's enough, there's enough Byron's um, and Alicia's and Will's out there that maybe, maybe that'll be remedied in some way because there is a natural curiosity for church history and tradition and just being more educated and one of the things that i shared about i don't always bring this up i know byron will tease me about this i did write a book and that's where the podcast get its got it got its name, has its name. yeah that's the one I mean, got it on the, the fly editor i got it man got its name. You, you had a great education from point Loma Edu- Edu- university uh, you I, you are they done he, learned me to rapping he school, was not bro. in the english department Oh my goodness. Go sea lions. Anyways, one of the biggest things that I shared about, which is actually what <laughs> led me to even being involved in things like the cohort that I met Alicia in, where they are investing in young pastors so that they can become more and more educated, prepared, mentored. One of the biggest things I harped on in my book was that I was not prepared for the job I was called to uh, 
to, to take on. And I just did not feel prepared or equipped or educated enough. And it's more than just head knowledge. It was the practical side of things. I didn't feel like my internships were substitute. Some, ah, I can't even talk. I'm not even trying. I didn't feel like uh, everything about our education, it just left, left me wanting more and feeling under-equipped for the job at hand. So final thought, final question for all three of you. If, uh, if it really got to the point where you felt like you need to do something, are you going to draft something for a general assembly and say, hey, we need to, we need to create a, because we can do that. That's the way our polity works. You can actually kind of form a committee and write a thing and try to get it passed so that it can be voted on. Are you passionate enough about some of the stuff that you'd actually want to move to make it more uniform, to make it more regulated? Yeah, I'd sit on a committee. I yeah, I mean, uh, I currently can't at the moment because uh, you have to be nominated and all those things, and um, you have to be an ordained elder, as far as I understand it, to sit on some of these uh, committees. And I'm I'm yet to be ordained. May 2020 is my ordination date. So um, get it. I mean, but we'll we'll see uh, that. Like that's that's the thing. That's why I'm really open about like addressing the places where I see need for improvement in the Church of the Nazarene because I'm also really willing to like show up and make it happen and to be part of the solution. So if sitting on a committee is what it takes, then then I would totally do it. I mean, is there is there other ways that you see some of these divides or some of these gaps being addressed? I guess they're they're like two two like main approaches where you've got like the grassroots approach where you just continue to be faithful to the things that are right in front of you in your immediate local context. And then there's like big picture institutional change, like drafting um, a resolution to be submitted at general assembly, which then shapes the manual, which then trickles down into our like uh, regular kind of local church life. Um, so approaching it from both those directions like in your immediate local context and then in the big picture denominational institutional structure i think both of those well remaining faithful at the local context may be all we are ever offered to be able to do so perhaps that's the one we can always default to and that's the one that may do the most uh to help I, if, if things skip a generation, like Byron said, maybe that will stop with us and we'll be faithful to educate our people and to, to preach and teach and honor our theological traditions. So any final thoughts, any last hot takes, any, any one-offs? Otherwise, we're going to wrap this podcast off before Will closes the app again. Yeah, yeah, you better do that. Um, I think <laughs> it's not a hot take and it's not a closing thought, but the other thing that you could do, at least to add on to Alicia's local thing, it and then this will touch on what Byron said too, and not knowing what it meant to be a Nazarene. Um, you know, we were members of that church, the church that we grew up in with Josiah, and uh, and so yeah, we obviously went through some form of membership, uh, and I think that's that's a key solution right there. So if 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 like if you have members in your church or or coming up members in your church, like you can educate them about what it means to be Nazarene. And, and that's the time, like if we if we're just more intentional about that, totally. Like I feel like a lot of us think, Hey, that's just a thing. Like we, we don't understand what church membership is. And so we don't take it very seriously. And so it's kind of just brushing the road. Oh, you want to be a member of our church? Great. I can hold you accountable and put you on stuff. 
hey, uh, Will, you can help with ministry. Did so, we take a class to become members? No, but I remember yeah. sitting down with, with our pastor. I don't remember that at all. And talking about it. I remember our parents joined yeah. and they said, hey, do you want to join? I said, sure. I was in like it was, sixth we, grade. You may not have sat down it with them. literally nothing him then. I don't know. I didn't know what it was, but, we but sat I was down. a member. And once There's I think library, I can man. vote. I remember it. Um, just uh, <laughs> to answer your question, I'm not going to. Um, so modern rap is not very good right now, but there are two people oh my who God. are significantly better than Kanye. Who are, and that's Chance the Rapper. We're ending after this on my Atlanta. And they're so much better than Kanye. They're modern rappers. So I just want to get that out oh there. Oh, my goodness. Um, Kanye's not very good anymore. So, yeah. Anyway, grace and Thanks, peace. Pal. Love you. Um, oh my goodness! My, I I guess my my last hot take is that I think that every single member of a Nazarene church should should go to a mandatory membership class every single year. You should like have to re up your membership every year, and there like there ought to be some significant refreshing and and reminders about who we are and what we're called to be. And and yeah, I I mean I think that's something that we could do at the local level. I actually agree with that. I try to do that. I take over our midweek gathering whenever there's a membership class lately, and I just teach the membership class to everybody. And then the couple, two or three that are actually going to become members from it, they just benefit from being in the class. But the whole congregation that's there on Wednesday night gets their refresher. So I've been trying to do that, actually. I love that idea. Way um, to go. Moving forward, moving forward, grassroots, big uh, GA stuff. I do do what you feel you're called to do to be faithful in the spot you're in and continue to extend just like byron said grace and peace uh i haven't seen too many okay boomers i haven't seen any of you guys do that so i think we're standing strong and we're not okay boomering anybody let's keep it up uh, but hey guys thanks for being on the panel this has been the hashtag blessed version of the millennial pastor podcast short form we're on the internets the social medias and all the things rate review subscribe do all that stuff there are a couple long-form shows coming your way. They are going to be a little bit later than the two weeks we had anticipated from the done. So stay tuned. We got a season saint, and we have a millennial pastor. And then we also have an author that's going to be coming down the pipe as well. Until next time, I'm your host, Slash Mitre Josiah. And on the panel today, we had... I'm Byron. Will. I'm Alicia. This has been Hashtag Blessed. See you next week. Oh, you know, man. Oh, you know, man. Oh, you know, man. Oh, you know, man.